0: Disclaimer, this announcer is not a Super Bowl fan or a Taylor Swift fan. This line is recorded under protest. As Taylor Swift would have it, Karma is the team from KC. Congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs on their win in Sunday's big game in Las Vegas. Long live the world champions. Long live Chiefs kingdom.
1: This is a Zaglund original podcast.
0: Today on the Saccharine Peaches Show.
1: Love is in the air this week, just in time for Valentine's Day. We'll talk about our appreciation for Studio Ghibli and discuss two of their films, Spirited Away and Ponyo.
2: And we go through the anime wormhole to see the story of the secret star system in Interstellar 4 5, based on and soundtracked by the Daft Punk second album, Discovery.
1: All this week, February 13th, 2024.
0: Connecting from Orlando and Baltimore, it's all about animation, autism, and everything else. This is the Zachary and Peaches Show with Adrian Mata and Emma Settles. Welcome to the
1: Zachary and Peaches Show, folks. I'm Adrian Mata.
2: And I'm Emma Settles.
1: And uh, we hope you folks are. Um, recovering, uh, or celebrating from this, uh, from the Super Bowl um, this past Sunday, uh, at, as of the release of this episode here. I also, uh, want to, um, apologize for the late release of last week's episode. Uh, I was, I was supposed to get it out on Tuesday. Unfortunately, executive dysfunction and burnout, uh, combined forces and ruined, uh, the entire week, uh, for me, at least as far as the podcast is concerned. So, Sorry about that. It's now been released on Saturday, so please give it a listen if you haven't uh, done so already. But in the meantime, Emma, a little update on the uh, National Fursuit cosplay. I hear you've got uh, some uh, more pieces for your cosplay there.
2: Yes, actually. Um, (laughs) Even though I said last week that he's done... That technically wasn't completely correct. I mean, the the fursuit aspect, like the head, the tail, and the paws were all done beforehand. Uh, I I just, I finished them last week. But I didn't have a designated outfit to wear with him. I mean, again, I also, I have a Don't Starve t-shirt. The limited edition 10th anniversary t-shirt that Clay released um, last April for... Again, the tenth anniversary of Don't Starve. Um, but I wanted to do something like really in character for him, so I went out thrifting this weekend, uh, this past weekend, with my sister and my dad, and thankfully I was able to find exactly what I needed, and found a pretty kick-ass, uh, relatively and an accurate uh, suit jacket, vest, and undershirt, and now i'm i'm pretty much ready to go um i had pants i can i can um just wear with the with the jacket as it is so i I pretty much just needed that but yeah everything is is good to go with him now i am i was in the process of dry cleaning (laughs) all of my new finds today um and uh my mom is actually gonna help me iron all the pieces too to make them extra special and nice um so yeah for the most part i'm i'm now can officially say that the cosplay is done um i will say that oh my god he is going to be super super sweaty to wear um <laughs> because not only am i you know just wearing a dress shirt a vest and a suit jacket and dress pants, but I'm also wearing <laughs> I'm also wearing a uh, an in- incredibly warm and bulky fur head. <laughs> so I am going to be sweating so bad <laughs> in that last day of the con. But again, as long as I have a decent fan, um, which I can assume that certain vendors at the con will sell. Um, because, you know, most fursuiters walk around with a portable fan, as it is, uh, just something, you know, they can quickly use to stick it in the mouth of their fursuit and get some, get some, some fresh cold air, um, while they're suiting, as well as, you know, when they take off the head and just, you know, get a nice little blast of, of air before, you know, getting back into character, uh, quite literally. But yeah, I mean I'm I'm excited though. I'm I'm really looking forward to this con. I think it's gonna be incredible fun. And yeah, if any if anything, I get to be, you know, not only, you know, the Sona that I've had for nine years and have loved so dearly, but also the anthropomorphic version of one of my favorite characters, which is also gonna be very fun. Especially considering the fact that Maxie's personality and my personality are so different from one another so kind of getting to uh put on more of a grouchy old man kind of persona i think will be a lot of fun
1: (laughs) now uh for those uh tuning in uh remind me is uh is your maxwell cosplay a full fursuit or a partial fursuit
2: it's a partial fursuit um so basically fursuit lingo 101 um I'm not going to go into, like, you know, specific types of suits and stuff like that. But basically, there are three main types of fursuits. One is the full fursuit, which is the head-to-toe. Um, your whole body is is covered in fake fur, and you're basically, you know, just a walking stuffed animal. I mean, you are, period, when you're fursuiting, as it is. But, you know, you are, in in a full suit, you are literally covered head-to-toe in, in fake fur. Um in a partial, there's a little bit more freedom. and it's a little bit more comfortable. at least in my opinion, it's a little bit more comfortable because the partial suit is basically only a head at the at the very mo, at the very most, it's a head, uh, arm sleeves, hand paws, feet paws and a tail. or at the very, very bare minimum, it's a head and a tail or a head, hand paws and a tail. Um. Peaches is a full partial, which means that she is the head, the arm sleeves, the hand paws, the feet paws, and the tail. Meanwhile, Maxwell is a mini partial, which is just head, hand paws, and a tail. The hand paws I didn't make myself. I actually bought them at the Halloween store. Um, but they're not actual paws. They're, they're like claw gloves, which I figured would be more in just in character for, for Maxwell in general. Um, plus, I can just wear them as a normal cosplay for that matter, too. So, when Halloween rolls around and it's time to go as human Maxwell, I can, you know, just use those to get into character as well, which will be really cool. But again, you know, getting sidetracked here. Um, though uh, I can also wear Peach's feet paws very easily with Max because they both have white feet paws. So, anyway, I'm getting way too far off into the weeds as I typically do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, lingo aside, there is a the full suit, partial suit, mini partial suit, which is a little sub-side of that, and then the quad suit, which is literally, you know, the basically a full suit, but you're also on all fours the entire time. Uh, and your arms are being propped up by stilts. Uh, those are incredibly uncommon, very uncomfortable to wear. <laughs> so yeah, not a lot of people wear quad suits, but they're really cool, though. Um, if you want to just do research on fursuits on your spare time. I, I recommend you doing that. But again, we're not here to talk about fursuits the entire time because if it was you'd be listening to a furry podcast, not an animation podcast.
1: <laughs> That's your but, yeah. thing.
2: That yeah, exactly. Um But yeah, I'm any anytime I get the opportunity just to kind of ramble about fursuits though, especially since the, you know, I've been a maker for the past four years and have have made three partial suits and a whole bunch of like attempts <laughs> since then. Um, but yeah, that being said, I'm incredibly thankful that I have the opportunity to finally get to be a big furry animal in public, which will be incredibly fun.
1: Awesome, and uh, I'm sure you'll have a great old time over there. Furthermore, um and I'm pretty sure you have a little bit more to uh, discuss about it uh, when you come back from over there. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we do have a post-Oscar special uh, on March 12th, and uh, I'm sure you'll be discussing uh, a little bit about that uh, in our something completely different segment that day, or, or, or on, on uh, that week, excuse me. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing from that.
2: I am too. I'm excited to go.
1: All right. Uh, and as far as my life is concerned... Um, uh, only a few shifts this week. Uh, nothing too eventful. I did have a really good day on Saturday. Started out at the cotton candy stand, and then uh, and then I had to hop out over at uh, Cafe Four because uh, they were a little backed up with orders and such. But it was uh, it was not too bad. I enjoyed it, and um, and I had a nice little time um, there at work today, which is uh, which is kind of a little bit rare to say these days, but. Um, but it just feels really good when when things kind of really go uh your way in a smooth manner as possible. So I'm glad. Uh, the one thing I wanted to get to uh on the day of recording here, um, I've decided to, st- to finally start this uh, little tradition, or well, I don't want to call it a tradition, a little series called uh, Zaxby's Speed Sunday, Sunday with a Z. And the first order I did, well, actually the first coupon, the first deck. Uh, the first deal I had there was for five free boneless wings. Which, if I'm being honest, or they're just basically grown-ass chicken nuggets. So uh there is that. Uh had those um had those tossed in teriyaki sauce and also had some fried white cheddar bites and a small glass of peach iced tea to go along with it. I know you're a little bit uh a little bit foamy in the mouth for anything peach related, but uh yes. oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: my yeah. name my uh, my my name wouldn't be Peaches after all.
1: <laughs> of course. And and I had a little fun there, filmed a little bit of stuff there, so you might see it on social media at some point throughout the week. At adriamata.26. You'll you'll probably see the first video in that series from there. So uh yeah. Um nothing too out of the ordinary aside from those two so onto our housekeeping notes there uh, la- uh last week uh when the grammys were going on as we were recording uh tara swift won uh won an award i don't remember uh, exactly which f- what for i think it was for best pop album for midnights and she she decided to you she decided to utilize her time for her acceptance speech to announce a new album and it's called the tortured poets department it will be coming out I believe April 19th, the full track list has already been released. Post Malone will feature on the first track, uh, titled Fortnite, not spelled like the video game Fortnite. And there's also going to be a track called Florida. Note the three exclamation points. And it will feature Florence and the Machine on there as well. There will be 16 tracks uh, on that album as well. There is a physical edition that will feature a 17 track titled The Manuscript there as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. what a time to be a Swifty, I suppose. Uh, I know you're not a Swifty by any means, Emma. But um, what can we, what could we speculate about uh, what to expect from the? Why well, shouldn't be asking you what what we could what we could expect from this album anyway? Because I know you don't, I don't, I know you don't really follow Taylor Swift anyway. But
2: yeah, you know, I, I, it's funny I, as you said, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I'm like, why are you asking me this? I'm not a Swifty. Um, <laughs> but if anything, I'm I'm kind of curious about the. Uh, collab track with Florence and the Machine, so if anything, I will probably be giving that track a listen, if anything you, Probably, you know, not any of the other uh, uh, tracks, obviously It's just not my thing, but because Florence is being featured, I my interest, I will admit, is a little bit piqued So, hey, you know, at the very least, uh, good on good on Taylor for getting uh, Someone I find interesting <laughs> on the album <laughs> Then again, you know, she has... You know, why why, why, should, why should she care what, you know, a, a furry from Baltimore, Maryland thinks?
1: <laughs> Maybe it'll be the canon event that'll turn you into Swifty. Who knows? Uh,
2: I I highly doubt it. I mean, eh. my whole family is super anti-Taylor Swift. Um, you know, I'm like, you know, whatever. Um, it's just not, not my thing. But... I have a feeling I will at the very least like that song only because of the fact that Florence is being featured and Florence is hella talented.
1: Yes. And it's all, and also because I live in Florida. So there you go.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I have an even more little connection to, uh, to my friend as well.
1: Of course. Uh, As we mentioned on the day of recording here, um, uh, this Sunday, this past Sunday, was uh, the Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. We do not have a, we don't have anything to um, uh, discuss about it at the moment, but uh, we just thought we wanted to let you know anyway. Uh, and uh, yeah, go sports. Go Chiefs.
2: Yeah, go go team.
1: Of course. <laughs> go whatever. Yeah, yeah
2: again, yep. not, not, I, I could care less about sports, um, but you know, at, at at the very least, I've heard at least you know in furry circles that the Chiefs mascot is a wolf. So I it, it, yeah, the, geez, the Chiefs mascot, mascot
1: is a wolf.
2: Yeah, I believe so. Let me just go on fur affinity for a second. <laughs> I have the
1: Wikipedia page there. Um, their first mascot was War Paint. Um, now okay. Cartoon like KC Wolf since 1989, and the first uh, mascot uh, in the NFL to be inducted into the Mascot Hall of Fame in 2006. Hmm,
2: very cool. I didn't even know there was a Mascot Hall of Fame, and I'm a raging furry. (laughs) Yep,
1: yeah, Yeah, always, yeah, definitely. Last week we talked about uh, Coraline. well, a few days ago, actually, uh, we talked about Coraline uh, as it celebrated uh, 15 years since it hit the screens. Leica Studios has announced a remastered 3D version of the film to be re- to be released to theaters in August of 2024. So it's going to be a little bit exciting to uh, for those who have already seen the film. It'll be a very interesting time to relive, you know, those memories of first watching that film for the first time. And for those who have not seen the film before, perhaps it'll be an uh, an immersive experience, so to speak, um, to go into the other world and go through this saga of uh, of Caroline Jones and uh, and uh, of course the bell dam. So uh, yeah, uh, you're looking forward to that one, Emma?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, re releases are are something that kind of does you know it, it kind of piques my interest, and I mean. I first watched Coraline just from home on my regular TV. So that being said, if I have the opportunity to go see this movie on a big screen finally, I think it would probably be an utterly phenomenal experience considering the fact that just everything that I that I love about Coraline, you know, and how visu- especially how visually stunning it is. I think that will be extra apparent, you know, tenfold once it's re-released onto the big screen. Um, I mean, again, this obviously has a number of years um, (laughs) of a a distance between the release of Coraline and the release of Kubo, but um, if, if there's anything that I can gather from watching both the Box Trolls and definitely Kubo on the big screen, having that opportunity, it's that Leica movies kind of demand that, you know, it. it, it, it they, they command the entire screen and it's like, you know, you, you kind of have to see them on a big screen in order to really, truly immerse yourself in them. I mean, not that they're not immersive on your home TV, believe me, you can get sucked into that world very easily, which is just another thing that I love about Leica, but you know, I, I think just because of the mastery of this film, I, I think it just—it just—it's, it, it, yeah, it—it's—it's it's, its presence kind of on the big screen. I think will will, will enhance the film even more, uh, especially as it's being re-released in certain circumstances in 3D.
1: Oh yeah, and I'm sure it's going to be very exciting for the fans of that film to. Yeah, well, especially for us, really, you need to uh, to relive um watching that film, you know, as it was the first time. and and uh, with that remastered three d element to it, I'm sure it's going be, I'm sure it's gonna look spectacular up on the big screen there. And finally, 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 <laughs> um next week on the podcast, we are gonna have Sacklin Game Night, uh, our first ever uh, game show edition of the Zachary and Peach's show. and, uh, been uh, thinking about what the format's going to be like here. Still kind of really devising exact like the exact specifics here, but it's going to be animation trivia here, and uh, and I'm very excited to see how that's going to be going to turn out. We're going to have a uh, bit of like a um, Jeopardy style format for the first round. Then we're going to go into quotes the second round, and then of course uh, our final round just being written responses and such. And of course, uh, this being a podcast, you can listen along and play along as well as uh, as we'll have. Um, Hope, I think three contestants. Hopefully, four, if we have uh, more than enough people to uh, play along, play along like in the same uh, virtual space here. I'm very excited just to just to try and get this off the ground here. And of course, Emma, my co-host, is going to be one of the contestants uh, as a part of that episode. So uh, tune in February 20th wherever you get your podcast. Hopefully, I'll be able to get that episode and then of course this episode out on time. Uh, if not, um, I'll be sorry. I I will be sorry about that but uh anyway um Emma I'm sure you're pretty <laughs> you're pretty darn excited about that too.
0: Oh
2: absolutely. I mean I'm just like uh I'm I I mean the, the second I kind of got this idea when we were discussing you know the overall format of this next season of the po- of this you know this current season of the podcast you know it's just I don't know. Yeah. I mean the second I kind of came up with the idea it, it just something kind of made me feel all giddy inside i mean i've watched or listened to rather a number of other podcasts that have had similar events go on basically you know animation tri- trivia um just little events here and there where you know the hosts can can really you know goof off and and just enjoy talking about cartoons and in, in, in an even sillier way than they do they do already um that just really spoke to me, and plus, <laughs> I guess this, this could be a little bit selfish in some ways, um, but my birthday is coming up, and my birthday is going to be the same week as the week where the game episode releases. My birthday is, is the 24th. Um, so that being said, with my birthday coming up, I figured, you know what, why don't I just do something fun with my with my incredible co-host, and hopefully a whole bunch of other... Really incredible people and fans of animation as well. So, yeah. That being said, I am pretty, pretty excited. And uh, yeah, if anything, it'll be just a fun way to uh, show off and you know to, to to continue my you know expressing my love of animation, all while quasi celebrating my birthday as well.
1: Definitely, and a happy early birthday to you as well.
2: Thank you very much. I am turning 23 years old, and it feels very surreal.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm turning uh, I'm turning a very funny number uh, in a few months here, and uh, if you know, if you uh, have watched SpongeBob, you'll probably know what that meant. you'll probably know <laughs> what it is.
2: 25.
1: <laughs> yep. Ah, uh, there is actually, ah, uh, there is actually, uh, as we're recording here, there is an alternate telecast of the Super Bowl airing right now on Nickelodeon. Nate Burleson, um, uh, was doing, uh, I think doing play-by-play or com or at least commentary, I think. And then you of course have SpongeBob and Patrick uh, up there in the commentary booth as well. So, uh, so if I'm little telecast there, um, sorry, we can't tell you exact like exactly what's going on in the Super Bowl, ah, uh, but. Uh, but yeah a pretty, a pretty fun weekend also for me as an NASCAR fan it means there's only one more week only a few more days until the daytona 500 uh february 18th on fox so uh yeah so there is that uh that's our housekeeping notes and we've got wtn animation news just around the corner we'll get to that and then our discussion on studio ghibli and andro stella Four five after the break we'll be right back
0: on the Sakari and Peaches Show. We step into the worlds of Studio Ghibli as Adrian and Emma discuss their love and appreciation for the celebrated Japanese animation studio headed by Hayao Miyazaki. And later, we go through the wormhole as Adrian talks about Daft Punk and Toei Animation's story of the secret star system, Interstellar 4-5. Coming up after the break, Passionate about the media industry? Bring your team to our team at Broadcast Plaza, a Discord community for all media throughout the world. Chat with fellow enthusiasts and industry professionals, including yours truly, in a relaxed and mature online environment. Join today at the link in this episode's description. Broadcast Plaza, this is the place.
1: WTN Animation News. Filling in for Edwardi Jackson, this is Adrian Mato reporting. Here's what's happening. Funimation, a streaming service dedicated to anime, will shut down in April of this year. The news was announced by its parent company, Sony, and it follows the consolidation of VRV, Funimation, and Wakanim into Crunchyroll's holding company in 2022. Crunchyroll, another anime streaming platform that is partly owned by Sony, will be the new home for some of Funimation's content, and viewers will be able to migrate their data until the latter's app and website shut down on April 2nd. Coyote vs. Agme, an unreleased comedy movie starring the iconic Looney Tunes character Wiley E. Coyote, might be cancelled after all. Warner Brothers. Discovery rejected deals and bids for the film from Prime Video, Netflix, and Paramount, effectively allowing them to shelve and delete it, and once again claim it as a tax write-off. On X, there have been trending posts that are calling for online personality Mr. Beast to buy the rights to the film and release it on his YouTube channel. But as of this report, such a deal has not materialized. Finally, a new trailer for Illumination's Despicable Me 4 was released for the Super Bowl this year, showing the Minions getting up to loads of shenanigans with Artificial Intelligence. The trailer is dubbed Minion Intelligence and makes light of the hype surrounding AI. The trailer is available to stream on YouTube. Despicable Me 4 will be released to theaters on July 3rd. And that's the world of animation as of Tuesday, February 13th. The news continues with WTN News Audio on Friday, where you can get the latest in international, national, and tech news. You can also get the latest headlines all the time at www.theworldtelegram.news. Now, though, it's back to The Zachary and Beaches Show, which resumes in just a moment.
2: Stay tuned for this week's question. Spotify listeners can reply through this platform's Q and A feature on their mobile device to have their say. You can also reply on Adrian's profile at AdrianMada26 on DeviantArt and Tumblr for this episode's recap entry on both platforms, or through our show's Instagram and Threads accounts at Zachary and Peaches with your thoughts. We can't wait to hear what you have to say.
0: Keeping animation in the conversation, this is the Zachary and Peaches Show.
1: Side, Emma Settles, I'm Asia Amata. We're back with the Zachary and Picha show. And with Valentine's Day this week, our love and uh, admiration for animation goes no limits, especially when it comes to Japanese anime. And of course, uh, one of the venerable, legendary uh, names in the animation industry is of course Studio Ghibli and, and uh, one of its directors, uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Oh
2: my gosh. Yeah. I mean, just again, sort of kind of branching out into what what you know how how i normally start out segments with you know a a bit of a personal connection but i will definitely let you in on a little secret i was uh, i would say a pretty reasonable um otaku as a kid um you know mostly mostly like children's anime and, and 90s stuff uh but you know most of my love and appreciation, I feel like when it came to, you know, when I was really, you know, knee deep into, you know, my anime phase, I suppose, was my love and appreciation for Studio Ghibli movies. And that obviously came about when I was, I was like, I believe like eight or nine years old or something along those lines. And my mom took me to go see Ponyo in theaters. And my sister and I were just absolutely, utterly floored. And from the, I mean, personally, I had never seen 2D animation specifically, you know, that beautiful before. And I mean, again, seeing Ponyo on the big screen, I think was definitely, at least personally, kind of a very eye opening experience. And even though I, I you know, I either, Depending on my age, I either, you know, was was still kind of like in that that floaty stage of deciding, you know, maybe I want to do anim- animation and you know art for a living. Um, but you know, I'm I'm a kid, so you know, why why focus on that too much? Or it was either right before that, you know, eye opening mo- moment with with as I talked about in Coraline episode, or right after. Again, I can't quite remember, but again i still vividly remember just how in awe i was of just how visually stunning Kanyo was and how visually stunning all studio ghibli films uh are that you know that i i learned subsequently afterwards when you know my my love for the studio's work and specifically of miyazaki's work kind of consumed my my whole being for a good uh two a good probably three or four years, if not longer. Um and even though I am uh I'm I'm kind of um a little bit out I'm 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 weird. I'm I'm very picky about the about the series and films and things that I that I watch and enjoy. Um and I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself, you know, a, a massive anime fan. Um that's only really because I don't watch a lot of anime, not because I'm, you know, don't want to. It's just because I, I don't really have the time and would rather be watching things that are already familiar to me. Um, but then again, that's another story for another different time. Um, but, you know, my my love of Studio Ghibli, I feel like, has remained constant throughout my life. It's just, you know, something that I, I keep with me. In my heart as not only this you know piece of my childhood but also and you know just how much of a level of love and care and happiness that this studio's body of work brought to me but also just you know looking back on these films and giving them you know constant constantly rewatching them even as an adult you know I, I noticed more and more about it and I'm just utterly captivated by their overall overall overarching messages of just of love and of care and of just incredible storytelling.
1: And of course, uh you're not alone in the in you know in your, you know, with your admiration of uh, Studio Ghibli's work uh, as well, especially with Ponyo and also with Spirited Away too. Um another film that I have watched as well. I remember seeing it like in like yeah, I remember seeing it like in Little I only remember, like, seeing bits of it. Like, uh, I, I don't think I've ever really seen, like, you know, the full movie and all of that. But, you know. Oh, yep. you've
2: got to. You've really got to. Honestly, spirit. Personally, this is just my 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 personal thing here. But honest to God, Spirited Away, it specifically, is, like, on my list of, like, every. Human being alive must see this movie, Um <laughs> just because of a it's it's a feat of animation and it just it shows the mastery of Studio Ghibli and not only visually but also through its 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 themes and its storytelling. I mean, I, I think this 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 movie is an incredible that whole movie is an incredible masterpiece, and you know we will obviously discuss. Uh, a little bit more as to, you know, as to why, especially, you know, if, if you're, uh, one of the few people who s- hasn't seen, uh, Spirited Away, whether in, in part or in full. But, but yeah, just, ah, anyway, Adrian, pardon me interrupting, but like, yeah, get on watching this movie as soon as you possibly can, it is just, ah, chef's kiss.
1: Uh, We'll let let you folks know uh, where you can stream uh, Studio Ghibli's work uh, at the end of this segment. Uh, In the meantime, here's Jared with an overview uh, of or about Studio Ghibli.
0: Founded on June 15th, 1985, Studio Ghibli has been a major storyteller and producer within the animation industry formed from the ashes of the bankrupt Topcraft Animation Studio. One of its founders and most prominent figures has been Hayao Miyazaki, who has directed numerous masterpieces for the studio, such as My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Princess Mononoke, Howl's Moving Castle, and this week's points of discussion, Spirited Away and Ponyo. Ghibli's animation style and storytelling has won the hearts of many film critics, cinephiles, fans, and general consumers, who are transported to many different worlds throughout the filmography of the legendary studio. Today, Studio Ghibli serves as a subsidiary of Nippon Television Holdings, which holds a 42.3% ownership stake and oversees its management, while allowing it to continue to offer refreshing stories that may not be heard of from other major animation studios.
1: Thank you, Jared. And uh, I guess uh, what I want to get to first here is the general animation, I guess, with animation and production here, and also with aesthetics as well, because obviously um, Japanese anime has this unique quality and unique aesthetic to it uh, that, is, um, that has been achieved by a wide variety of studios based in the country. But, uh, but nobody... I don't think anybody does it like Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki uh, especially with his work and the, with all the films that um that were mentioned uh, by Jared and also many more that um, that were mentioned uh, during that overview there. So um so um what about the uh, animation and production that um that you haven't really quite uh, touched there during our little intro there to uh uh to Studio Ghibli? Th-
2: the caliber of the studio's work is it's 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 top notch. It's literally unlike anything else I've ever seen in animation, regardless of you know, where it was produced or, or who it was produced by. There is just something supernaturally just astounding it's just I I can't even really put words to it but Studio Ghibli films have their own level of not just quality and and caliber of animation but just you know of they have their own unique feel to them too and honestly I, I again I can't really put words to it but the second you immerse yourself in a world which studio ghibli has created i think you know you you kind of I don't know, it's it's like this crescendo of awe i i guess that's you know how i could how i could put it because you know when you're when you're truly immersed in this world you can not only start to see you know, not only are you, you know, along for the ride with these incredibly memorable characters such as um uh, Panyu and Sosuke or Haku and Shihiro, um, for example, just to name some of the few uh, Studio Ghibli characters and and specifically duos. But what I specifically enjoy is the fact that you can also get really immersed into all of the little details that go into these movies. I mean, for instance, I'm we're, we're not really focusing on Howl's Moving Castle tonight. But if I may, I will g- briefly go into a little tangent about Howl's Moving Castle. Um and it's sadly it's been a while since I've I've last seen this movie. But there's this one scene where Howl is kind of, you know, sulking in in bed and kind of being woe is me. Um Kind of being his his typical pre arc self, um, and the second you get into Howl's room is it's just the level of detail is like off the walls crazy bananas. It's just there's there's so much packed into that room, and if any other studio I feel was was producing this movie, that background. That was created specifically for that scene. Would have looked busy. You know there were so many things that could have you know. Reflected light or could have had specific. You know could have you know drawn your eyes to those specific things. And you would have almost forgotten about the interaction between the characters in that scene. Specifically with Howl and Sophie. But you know the thing about Studio Ghibli is that it finds a way to make not. You know, everything it everything it touches turns to gold, and everything it makes is just astoundingly beautiful. And there, there's just they have a phenomenal way of understanding not just you know composition in general, but also of the the world building and of the settings with which their characters live. So you know, again, that being said, I think by keeping that space as cluttered as it was. Even though there were so many little intricate details going on that it was only, that you know, in some ways you could very easily get lost in that scene. What was most important was right in front of you was the interaction between the characters. So, yeah, I think props to them for not only making a cluttered scene feel, you know, very organic and and not feeling know not feeling that level of anxiety when you watch it necessarily but also you know really creating characters with which the audience is so invested in that you know the beautiful world building almost becomes something that you know enhances the story rather than detracts from it i mean i i think with any studio ghibli film it's it's They're one of these studios that creates countless amounts of movies where you can't just watch them once and expect to see everything. There are so many little hidden details, callbacks to previous movies, or calls to future movies, or little nods to other elements of not only Japanese pop culture, but also even a little bit of... The U.S. animation industry as well, I believe. It creates such an incredible amalgam of visually beautiful scenery and incredibly detailed and fascinating characters that, you know, when you when you watch one of their movies and you watch it in a certain way, you know you can you can almost kind of say okay you know the next time i watch this movie i'm going to specifically focus on the movement the body language and the personality of this character or i'm going to focus primarily on world building and of the and you know look at some of the details in the backgrounds you know kind of, now that i have the story and and the characters kind of familiarized now i can finally take that opportunity to just gaze at the beautiful handiwork That is this movie, again, almost kind of like, you know, like you're inserting yourself back into a, a state of watching the movie for the first time. Except, you know the story, and now it's just time to kind of soak in all the other little details and the Easter eggs and just the beauty and the fun that is, you know, watching a Studio Ghibli film. Specifically, as a feast for the eyes. Again, this studio's work is on like a whole... Other level. And I keep saying it, but I, I I don't think there truly is any other studio That can just produce not only you know incredible movie after incredible movie after incredible movie. like honestly, i I can't name a single studio Ghibli film that's quote unquote, bad like there there there's no such thing as a bad studio Ghibli film. Like I, I just I, I can't it, it almost feels unholy <laughs> or disrespectful to say, you know, oh, you know, that that one movie was, you know, that that movie was mediocre. No, it wasn't mediocre. it, it was it was just different. But I don't know. yeah, it just the the fact that they can continue continuously make, Movies that are not only just visually stunning and but just the, the caliber of their work never changes and yet changes all rapidly all the time and continues to push the boundaries of what the two D animation medium can do is just one of the re- one of the many reasons why I, I hold this studio in such high high regard.
1: I mean, the aesthetics and the the animation—it's so. To put it romantically, it's breathtaking. Yeah, there's nothing else that I could really say about it that is like that might even be a critic. Yeah, and mine, yeah mine it might. Yeah. There's,
2: there's, there's. I can, I can, I can barely provide. Like, 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 There's just, there's, there's, there's barely any person's work where I can, you know, just sit and watch it and and keep saying that you know. There's again. Part of me is like, you know, every filmmaker has a movie that you know didn't do so great, or you know, wasn't as good as the others. Like, I just I can't say that about Studio Ghibli. Like, there's 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 no critiques. And <laughs> I, I again, maybe if I if I sat down and really you know thought critically, maybe I could come up with a few things. But I feel like they would be nitpicky as opposed to true structural issues. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I got what you're saying. Yeah.
2: But but yeah, I mean, as you said, agreed. Just if I can describe Studio Ghibli's body, entire body of work, in one word, it is as you said, breathtaking. Like there's there's really no other feeling like it. I mean, (laughs) I mean, I'm comparing apples to oranges here again to kind of use one of my one of my favorite sayings. But I mean, if you if you think about like the the, the craft and the artistry of, like, a Leica movie, for for example. You know, it, again, they have their own unique challenges and their own unique qualities and their own unique beauty because of a whole, you know, different animated medium, that being stop-motion animation, specifically with, with 3D-printed puppets. It, honestly, I feel like just Studio Ghibli's world-building... Design, aesthetics, overarching stories, and and caliber of work is like everything that Leica does, like times fifteen.
1: <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on here before we get a little too uh to um spirited away with uh with our um with the aesthetics and uh, and general animation as such for uh uh-huh. uh for. For Studio Ghibli here, uh, let's go ahead and get into like um, I guess uh, I haven't marked on a story analysis slash breakdown, but I think we'll go into like I guess some some of the themes and thematics um, for I think from two of their works here, uh, Spirited Away and Ponyo, as Jared mentioned. And I Spirited Away is kind of this story; it's a the kind of genre that I feel like it best fits. That best fits this movie is called and forgive me for butchering the pronunciation uh isekai and isekai is a, a genre where the main protagonist of the story is transported into uh an otherworldly i guess dimension or something along those lines but anyway they're transported into a an, into an otherwise unfamiliar world um uh, that is uh that they have never really they've never quite heard of or have never really stepped foot in until they really have stepped, stepped foot in it. And uh, Ponyo, I think this is a, how would you, how would you describe Ponyo? How would you describe Ponyo's story? What, what kind of, what kind of genre, what kind of story or category or genre would you put that under?
2: The thing about Ponyo is that it's very hard to kind of classify being one thing. I mean, I, I think it's kind of hard to even necessarily classify spirited away as being one thing too but i think if you had to that specific you know fish out of water kind of scenario uh, is is a perfect you know sum up of it from the things that i have heard you know about the inspiration for the story and such um obviously kind of as i said drawing on both Japanese, as well as Western fairy tales and folklore. Um, I believe at least partially it was discussed that Ponyo was was, was at least partially inspired by the original, original Little Mermaid tale, like the, the Hans Christian Anderson version. And not, you know, the one that, that Disney made popular. Obviously Ponyo has a much happier ending again. Uh... <laughs> But it, if if there's any way I could describe Ponyo, I think it, it it truly is a fairy tale, it it because it has it has a lot of the hallmarks of a fairy tale, you know. It, it also kind of it, it has almost like a frog prince sort of vibe too as well, especially because you know at the end of the movie, not to, to spoil it. My apologies to anyone who hasn't seen it before. Again, please do if you haven't already. But you know. Sosuke was supposed to kiss the bubble that Panyo was being kept in in order to keep her human, keep her with him, and also, I believe, even keep her, even keep her alive. Because, you know, the thing about Panyo is that she is was initially a fish, was granted the ability to turn into a little girl, to be with the young boy who saved her and who absolutely adored her and she adores him back and then she slowly, you know, starts to revert back to her initial fish form however, is you know, granted that gift of of being human by a sort of a true love's kiss of sorts, you know Kanyu and Sosuke have such a sweet and tender relationship. I feel like you know the, the thing about Studio Ghibli is that and what's really appropriate, you know, with this being the Valentine's Day episode is that Studio Ghibli I feel really knows how to tell a love story. And it's not just you know a romantic love story, but a love story about family, a love story about acceptance of self, a love story you know about loving others and protecting others. I think you know, Ponyo kind of exemplifies that because you could very well easily read, you know, Ponyo and Sosuke's relationship as sort of being like Ponyo has a crush on him, which is really cute if you think about it, too, because, you know, you can think back to, you know, young love and and that kind of thing, especially since, you know, I believe they're like four, like four and five years old. So, it you know, Panyo being Sosuke's like first crush or whatever the case is, which is just really cute. At the same token, though, the thing about them is you could also read their relationship as being like brother and sister, especially as, you know, when when once Panyu is, is sort of gifted humanity, the ability and she, you know, turns human and stays with Sosuke for an extended period of time and helps him find his mother who has, has since gone missing during the events of the film. You know, I, I just, I, I think their reliance on each other can also sort of read as, you know, Sosuke being a sort of, old, like, maybe an older brother or, like, a twin brother kind of feel, and his level of love and, and wanting to protect Panyo and Anya wanting to protect him is just, it, 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 it's off the rails, like, heartwarming. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that being said, I think, again, another reason why we I, I feel like Studio Ghibli is a perfect example for a Valentine's Day episode, but, again, the long and short of it, I think Ponyo really, truly is a story about love, first and foremost. True love keeping you, you know, keeping you grounded, keeping you who you are, but also, you know... In in the midst of adversity, kind of keeping you with the people that you love and keeping keeping love alive and together even in the midst of challenges. I think it's just incredibly... That message, I think, reads loud and clear as you watch this movie. And, I mean, I guess a little aside here, but Studio Ghibli does... I guess kind of likening back to Leica again. Studio Ghibli and Laika both have this love of telling stories about kids and teenagers and again that's of the reason why i love both of their bodies of work specifically is that because they were specifically created these protagonists are specifically created to be relatable to kids and to teens in specific parts of their life because i mean ultimately even Spirited Away can kind of ha- has a little bit of a coming of age sort of notion to it. I mean, Chihiro is starting her new life in a new town. She's moved away with her family, away from all of her old friends, and is soon sort of whisked away to this alternate dimension and is tasked with finding and saving her parents. As well as escaping so that she can go back to the life that she once knew. Ultimately, you know, she's sort of obviously growing and evolving as a protagonist. uh, As she's surviving, working at the spirits bathhouse in this alternate spirit world, which her and her family sort of intrude upon. Uh, again, not to sort of take a, a a different direction with 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 talking about Spirited Away when we're we're primarily talking about Ponyo right now, but yeah, again, I I feel like just it, it's sort of hard to sort of you know pin down any Studio Ghibli film as being one specific thing, but yeah, again, I I think we've we've pretty much nil it. I mean, right it out right out of the park. It's mostly. Uh, fish-out-of-water stories, coming-of-age stories, and just stories about love.
1: Now, what about Spirited Away? I mentioned it being a story where this protagonist is transported to another um, another world of sorts, and um, I feel it I feel as though I remember having some themes about, you know, trying to get back to one's own uh, loved ones and all of that and, you know, trying to remember your own name and you know, try remembering. I think remembering who you are as well. But then again, it's been a long time since I've seen that film. So, um, so what do you remember about this film here? Like, what, what themes uh, did that one explore?
2: Yeah, no, that's that's exactly how I would describe it too. I mean, I, I think ultimately one of the the fascinating elements about *Spirit in a Way* is that once Chihiro is fully immersed in this world. And she's offered, you know, a job at the bathhouse. You know, she's she's you know basically employed by Yubaba, the witch who runs the whole place. The thing about that is that her identity, in some ways, has been sort of taken away from her because her name, given in the spirit realm, now is Sen, and that's how she was expected to respond to you know while she was doing her work and you know in a way it was it was almost like you know slowly but surely under you know Yubaba's kind of minor form of magical manipulation you know whatever you want to call it her her spell you know she ultimately wants people to forget Who they are in the midst of, you know, in the midst of, you know, committing to working at the bathhouse with all the different spirits. I mean, if you you want an even more literal example of this, Chihiro's parents were literally turned into pigs once she sort of stays past the, you know, stays past her welcome uh, in the spirit world. After her and her parents sort of intrude into it. So, you know, that being said, her name was stolen from her, but her parents' humanity was was kind of taken from them as well. Uh, so that being said, you know, the whole story is basically about remembering and main, maintaining your your identity, not only, you know, just your principles, where, you know, who you are, where you came from, you know, What you want to be, but also, you know, in a literal sense, with, you know, everything down to, you know, saying, you know, I have a name, this is, this is my true name, and, you know, even the point where, you know, I'm, I'm human, and, I mean, one of the interesting dynamics within that is the story of the relationship between Haku and Shahiro. Aku is a very fascinating character because he's sort of Chihiro's guardian angel, so to speak. Um the second he realizes that she has wandered off into the spirit realm. Um and that obviously is is revealed again that later in this into the story, again, not to want to spoil anything. But <laughs> I sadly kind of have to here, or else things just won't make sense. But, um, before Paku, um, it, it, he, he had a similar fate, as he, he faced a similar situation too. He kind of forgot who he was because he fell under the spell of Yubaba because of... I believe he he wound up stealing something from her and her sister Zeneva. Again, it's it's been a while since I've I've last seen this movie myself, sadly. Um, so I could be forgetting some some pretty crucial details. But ultimately, the whole thing about their relationship is that Haku didn't want the same thing that happened to him to happen to Chihiro. Especially because they have a previously established relationship. Haku being the spirit of the Kohaku River. Who saved Chihiro as a young girl from basically almost accidentally drowning. After she wandered off you know, too deep into the river. And... It's sort of through not only eventually making nice with Yubaba's twin sister, Zaniba after partially breaking the spell that Haku was under, but, you know, they have this really beautiful moment of Haku and his his stunning uh, wolf dragon form. And they're kind of, you know, flying through the air, heading back to the bathhouse, you know, making the trip back there in order to help Chihiro finally escape the spirit realm after she sort of comes back to the realization of okay you know this is who I am and and you know this is yeah basically this is this is who I am and this is the life I I want to live and this is you know how I've changed since coming here and how I've changed especially for the better and they have this this incredibly stunning moment of once his curse is lifted he slowly transforms back into his own human form and frees him, finally. And and sort of, you know, they have this realization of, you know, now that you've remembered who you are, and now that you... Now, after all the help that I've provided you, you've in turn helped me as well. Which, again, I, I think is... The, the story of Haku and Shihira I feel like, is another unconventional, in a sense, sort of love story that Studio Ghibli is known for telling. And, I mean, you you could, uh, again, you could obviously read it on the very kind of, you know, I, I would say in some ways a superficial level that, you know, Haku and Hiro have crushes on each other and, you know, they... Are protecting each other because of that level of love, but there's also this sort of level of sacrificial protection and care, in helping each other grow as individuals, and not just growing but also maintaining aspects of oneself and and keeping your yourself preserved and not losing who you are even in the midst of the chaotic world that surrounds you and you know again i i think the way that studio ghibli tells love stories whether or not you know in, in certain circumstances the relationship could be read as being romantic or not i i think is is it, it, it's it's incredibly fascinating because i feel like it, it also explores other assets, even of romantic love, that often kind of get brushed aside or are treated you know, superficially in other animated movies, especially in Western animated movies. Again, I, I think the way that Studio Ghibli uses love, period, in its storytelling, I think is an incredible way of sort of showing... Different facets and how characters can truly grow and improve as characters because of not just, you know, the love that they have for another character or the love the character has for them, but a sort of mutual bond between two characters who ultimately help each other become better versions of themselves.
1: And, you know, uh, you know that movie is so important to kind of re- learn that particular i guess to learn a particular i don't i don't want to call it like a theme or a lesson or whatever it is but it does uh, get but it does you know tell us you know there's always opportunities to um to be the best best or even better version of yourself that you can be and and you know it, that that does take time it takes time it takes effort and it takes everything and uh and uh, Studio Ghibli did a good job of uh, exemplifying, you know, not only uh, you know visualizing that, but also exemplifying that particular um, that particular um, theme or thematic or don't know what I'm saying here, but uh, but, but exemplifying that particular concept um, as far as uh, life goes and in, uh, in a in another worldly setting.
2: Absolutely, and I mean again to sort of piggyback on that again, and sort of you know not to sound like a broken record and you know repeat myself here but again it also shows you that care that you know people are ultimately a product of their environment and are a product of the other people that surround them because sure a single person can make changes to themselves all they want but true character development And making hard decisions and it comes from that sort of recognize, you know, that that ability to recognize that you are loved and that you are supported. And when you truly have someone who has your back and who is in your corner and who wants you to improve, I think is incredibly incredibly important and incredibly instrumental. Towards lasting important change.
1: Yeah, and um I I honestly have nothing else to say about it, but um to kind of see that in the Studio Jimmy Fo and to, you know, see it, you know, done and executed in that kind of style. Again, I, I will say this, as I said at the beginning, it is breathtaking and all that. So uh yeah. Um but um I have come across a fair, a fair small, a a small but fair share of uh, Studio Ghibli films uh, in my lifetime. Why I haven't quite appreciated them a little more than I probably should as an animation fan uh, is. it's probably my own doing, but um, but to go through this discussion uh this week uh on Studio Ghibli and kind of really you know kind of really hear from you Emma as you know uh, you know being more a little bit more well versed uh um with uh, I think with j- animation in general than than I than I probably am, but um, but to hear hear you know why Studio Ghibli has been able to put out masterpiece after masterpiece. And every master class of uh, of uh, storytelling and uh, like visually and auditory and everything. It's no wonder why they are they're up there with all the major um, major animation studios like DreamWorks and uh, Disney and uh, and even even Sony Pictures Animation too. Uh, even even those studios that I mentioned. Even sometimes they have their duds and all that. But Studio Ghibli, you know they are on a whole other benchmark that you know having said that just now it feels a little unfair to kind of almost to kind of really compare them to the other major animation studios that are based here in north america and even elsewhere too so it's just been, it's just been a fun it's just been a fun little discussion well for me to kind of really hear about studio ghibli um you know from your vantage point and to uh, and to hear more about you know what makes their Creation. What makes their creations like tick, like in that certain style, in that certain with um, you know, with the certain choices that they, they made, especially with Hayao Miyazaki as well. Why we have not, why we haven't really mentioned his name that often, is beyond me. But um, and and just an amazing Japanese tour de force in animation. That's all I have to say about it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just again, they're. Their whole body of work is truly on another level of incredible, and I'm I'm incredibly happy that we had this opportunity to finally give, you know, this studio its its proper due on the podcast. So, yeah, again, just absolutely incredible work. I. Miyazaki and by everyone else who works on these incredibly stunning beautiful amazing movies Um, and yeah it was just if anything again it was also just really nice to talk about another thing that had such a grip on such strong grip on my heart and a strong influence on you know my own methods of of storytelling and, and you know all of that as an artist because, I mean, I I, I don't think I truly give Studio Ghibli enough credit for just how much they've truly influenced my own work. And again, as I keep saying, I'm just, I'm happy that we finally, you know, decided to do it right here on the podcast.
1: And especially on the heels of uh, bo- of the Boy and the Heron, also directed by Miyazaki and from Studio Ghibli, um, having already won the Golden Globe Award for best um best animated feature, or I guess the equivalent of that for for that particular award ceremony, and uh, also being nominated for best animated feature for the Academy Awards, so um a great time to discuss about uh Studio Ghibli's work in general, so. Yeah, very absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I know
2: you're, I know you're rooting for Nimona, and I kind of am too. But a huge, huge part of me is crossing my fingers, like, please let the boy in the heron be Miyazaki's second Oscar. I think that would be a triumph.
1: What was his first Oscar, by the way? Um, just for, uh, for just for us fans to uh, you know recollect our memory here.
2: Spirited Away, the one of the wonderful movies that we focused on during tonight. Right, show. of course, yeah.
1: Uh, hopefully did as much of a justice as we could uh you know to uh to give Studio Ghibli their flowers and uh and their you know their our, our love and admiration for them uh especially during the award season as well you can stream all of Studio Ghibli's works uh through uh through the streaming service now known as Max and um they're also be able to purchase uh digitally and uh and I think also physically as well through uh, various retailers when we come back we're going to jump through the anime wormhole and travel to an otherworldly alien planet as we explore the story of the secret star system that's interstellar four five and we'll
0: be right back coming up on the sakari and peaches show We continue on a journey full of discovery, as Daft Punk and Toei Animation team up to tell the story of the secret star system, Interstellar 4-5. Adrian discusses its unique place in Japanese anime, in music, and as a part of the French EDM duo's legacy. Celebrate and dance so free, next!
1: Once again, I'm Adrian Mata, Here now is this week's question. Emma and I discussed the works of Studio Ghibli and how and why their films consistently captivate audiences with their trademark style of storytelling. This week, we want to know what your favorite film was from the legendary studio. Spotify listeners, let us know now through the Q&A feature on your mobile device. Otherwise, reply to this episode's recap entry on DeviantArt and Tumblr. View my profile on both platforms at Atriomata26, or to our show's Instagram and Threads account at Zachary and Peaches. The Zachary and Peaches show resumes in just a moment. We love animation, and we certainly do love talking about it. So, why not put your knowledge to the test? Join me, Adrian Mata, and play along as contestants meet for bragging rights to tell the world they know their animation. And hopefully, we'll have one half a good time along the way. Hopefully.
0: Sackland Game Night, only on the Sackery Peaches Show. Tune in February 20th, wherever you get your podcasts. Animation, autism, and now, everything else. The Zachary and Peaches Show Continues
2: Welcome back To the Zachary and Peaches Show Everybody And uh, now on to our Something Completely Different segment Which uh, technically isn't Completely different after all Especially since we are still continuing With our anime theme Of the night So uh yeah That being said Uh Adrian, why don't we uh Why don't you get started on telling our lovely listener a little bit about uh, Interstellar 4-5, which I understand is primarily based off of a specific Daft Punk album.
1: Yes, and it is actually their second uh, uh, studio album called Discovery, which was released in 2001. The film itself was released uh, two years later. I believe it took them like uh, a couple of months to, um, I think, like... I think with, like every standard like Japan traditionally animated Japanese anime, it, like it takes them like um, it could take them like uh, like a few years to um, uh, to produce the whole thing. But uh, but yeah, and just Solo Four or Five, the story of the secret star system. No, nope, the 5's there in place of the S's. This is of course uh, soundtracked by and, and also based on uh, Daft Punk's, um, as I said before, Daft Punk's second soul second studio album. I was about to say solo second studio album. Uh, Discovery. And um, to give you a little background here, well, actually, I'm not going to give you a little, I'll I'll actually give you a little background uh, after uh, Jared tells us a little bit more about this movie.
0: Soundtracked by celebrated French EDM duo Daft Punk and based on their sophomore album Discovery, Interstellar 4-5 focuses on a band of blue-skinned aliens from an otherworldly planet. Octave, the keyboardist, Arpeggius, the guitarist, Beryl, the drummer, and Stella, the bassist. While performing a concert to a huge crowd on their planet, they are kidnapped by nefarious forces affiliated with Earl de Darkwood, and are then transformed into humans and become the latest hottest band in the music industry, the Crescendals. Meanwhile, another blue alien named Shep pursues these forces in an attempt to rescue them from Darkwood's control. But can he and the band escape Darkwood's wrath before he collects his 5,555th gold record to rule the universe?
1: Thank you, Jared, and uh and before uh, thankfully I thankfully I reminded myself uh, Jared's still gotta do his synopsis there, so uh so, uh, thank God for that. Thank God for Jared Harris. Um, uh, this album, um, so actually, this album here, uh, Discovery by Daft Punk, um, it, it, had been in the works, uh, I think since, uh, they had released their debut album, Homework, in 1997, and, um, one of the songs from that album, the first track, and the first, I think the first single for that album, One More Time, um, it had been in the works as far back as 1998, so that, so probably like a year after uh, Homework was released, and then they had done like, all the promos, press junkets, all that for that particular album. And it was also during that particular uh, era that um, they started to don their, um, their familiar and famous uh, robot guises. Uh, Guy Manuel de Omen Cristo and Tomás Banjolter apologies for uh, butchering up the pronunciation there but um but they were they slipped into their robot guises um from this album onward and for future subsequent works and um and you do see a little bit of cameo from their characters in that film as well but uh, aside from that um uh interstellar 4 5, uh uh of course there's like no dialogue in this um in this uh film but it is of course soundtracked by discovery so the whole thing goes in the order of the track list there uh from one more time all the way down to uh too long towards the end of the story there and um uh, and this extraterrestrial pop band consisting of octave arpeggius beryl and uh stella um they are of course kidnapped uh by you know nefarious forces affiliated with uh earl the dark world they're transformed into like I guess their appearances are transformed to be more human and they become the of course um the crescent dolls and and the motive here for Darkwood is that for many, many years, um he have been adducting various aliens from many planets throughout the um not just the solar system, but also through the galaxies and the universe and and everything else that goes along with it and he has been collecting he had been collecting these gold records along the way, and it just so happens that the uh that this uh this pop band who are transformed into the dolls, they happen to be that particular crucial point where they would earn for him that 5,555th uh gold record so th- so from them from there he gets to control the universe he gets to rule the universe he gets to do whatever the heck he wants with it so there is that but um yeah, but uh, the whole story kind of really follows along. There is, of course, another extraterrestrial alien named Shep who follows, who kind of really pursues the band and um, and the forces that you know that abduct them and uh, bring them to Earth and become and uh, transform them into the Of course, uh, I think towards the towards the end you do see like this particular struggle between you know the um, between these aliens and of course um, Darkwood, and then eventually that results in a certain death, which I won't. um Which I won't really address here, but um but uh but it doesn't but uh that that's gonna keep the story that would that's gonna keep the story going. Uh but um but of course um over the course here uh you do see a bit of a bit of a sacrifice. Um, you know, Chef Connery risks his life, you know, to to rescue the band from Darkwood's control. And of course um, he ends up losing his life and doing so. And, uh, and, and so now it's just kind of real. And so I guess from there, you know, you know, once they, once they are, you know, freed and loosened from, you know, from his mind control, I think through those, through the glasses that he has, um, that he is placed like on these um, band members, like, um, like over their eyes. Um, they go it. They go to his manor, and of course, you know, we get we see that he's been doing. He's been collecting gold records, trying to rule the universe, all of that, and then of course, uh, little strife going on here and there that I can't really quite describe. But uh, it does eventually end uh, up in uh, Darkwood's death. The manor, you know, kind of really descent like collapses onto itself, and then uh, of course. They're trying to and of course the aliens, they're trying to get back home to to their to their planet. And of course, once the public kind of really finds out about, you know, their true origins, they, they just kind of really hatch up a plan to go ahead and, you know, send them on their way home. And and uh they were, they're were able to do that and uh, send them back to their home planet, but not before, you know, you know, Darkwood spirit comes and you know, tries to involve and you know, trap and you know curse this, curse this band once more, but it's the Spirit of Shep that, you know, keeps, keeps, that, you know, keeps, uh, Darkwood spirit at bay, and, you know, and then from there, we get to see them perform, you know, for, uh, for their, uh, own kind once again, and that's pretty, I guess that's pretty much about it as far as this story goes, but, uh, of course, this story is kind of really a collaboration, uh, between Daft Punk and Toy Animation, and of course, uh, uh, it was under done under the direction and supervision of leiji matsumoto and um and it's a very interesting anime you know because of the because of how it's you know how they kind of really formatted it but also with, with the way they have you know this entire album of discovery playing like throughout the film with like only a couple sound effects here and there but it's so interesting to see you know this very interesting story play out. Um and seeing these songs connected uh in such a unique way uh through this storyline that um that um it was it just feels like something it feels like exactly like the most Daft Punk thing to do, and especially with um, you know, what they've done in their, you know, their entire career, of course. Of course, they're no longer together, really. They've disbanded um Tomas and uh Guy Manuel course doing their own stuff uh solo uh their own respective stuff solo excuse me but um but yeah this is such an amazing film and the way they kind of really you know went through with releasing music the music videos for each of the songs on the album there so with because of i guess because with the way it was structured uh you have essentially certain scenes the scenes like in the film there with the to, corresponding to the songs on the track list for discovery essentially function as their own video, their own respective music videos. And, uh, because of that, um, I guess on YouTube, um, there is a way you could stream the entire movie. And that's, I guess, through a playlist, uh, of all of the, uh, uh, all the songs, uh, all the music videos from discovery at, you know from there and uh I, that's one way i was able to watch that film in full without even paying uh without even paying a dime or or you know paying for like a subscription service or even just paying to like for a digital copy of the a digital copy of the uh this anime film really but this but it's such a fascinating story to, or like a fascinating film to uh watch and you know and also kind of really listen to as well and getting to hear the entire album and In that sense, so uh, yeah, so we'll put. uh, So if anything, I will try and put a link to the playlist in question in the episode's description. But uh, this was a very interesting. It was a very interesting film, and I really liked it.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad that you liked it. I mean, overall, it sounds interesting. I mean, just the the fact that I mean, in general, there aren't a whole lot of like music. With the exception of like, obviously, your your you know your typical musicals and such, there, there's not a whole lot of like true music based animated films. So the fact that Daft Punk was able to, in collaboration with with Toei Animation, uh, come up with this really fantastic sounding story. And have their album, their their whole work be illustrated in such a manner through the medium of animation, I think is is in, incredibly astounding. I mean, um, I mean, it, again, if you think about even like the modern music industry, uh, it, it seems to me that that a lot of people are starting to kind of take um, you know, Take notice of the anime of the medium of animation when it comes to like music videos and stuff like that. But a, a true music, ba- like an album-based film, you know, that's done entirely in the animated medium is is a a, a rare feat. So the fact that you know Daft Punk was able to achieve. This and from what I can tell, achieve it pretty successfully, uh, I think is incredibly fascinating. I mean, especially since you said there's no dialogue in this film.
1: There is no dialogue, but there are some vocals on certain tracks on the Discovery album that appear on appear in the film.
2: That's insane. I I really like that. Um plus it also just, you know, continues to create a sense of timelessness and an ability for people to be able to watch and understand the film uh, without, you know, dubbing and subtitles and and all of that kind of stuff, or with very minimum uh, with a bare minimum of of that so, yeah, again props to Daft Punk for finding a way of uh, of doing this and, and making it work as well as they did
1: yeah, and, and especially to Toei Animation, Animation and Leiji Matsumoto as well, because uh, because they were yeah, and because they were able to uh, you know work with them and bring this uh, bring their story I, I guess uh, to to life. Of course, with Leiji's, um with uh, Matsumoto's uh, contributions to this story to this story as well. That being said, that's going to do it for the Green Peaches show uh, this week and next week. It is game night after, of course the super bowl um i guess we're gonna be doing i guess we're gonna release this after the day total 500 it's gonna be game night um or game day however you want to however we're gonna do this here but uh but nonetheless zachlin game night on the zachary peter show animation trivia and all of that and uh we're just i'm, I'm just hoping we're gonna have a lot of fun doing it and uh and i know you're gonna be i know again you're gonna be competing as one of the contestants as well so it's, it's gonna be pretty exciting
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, again, this is something that I've wanted to do for a while on the podcast. So the fact that we're going to try to, you know, test this out, uh, this this initial go-around, I think is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a barrel of laughs, and uh, ultimately, I feel like—I I know, you know, at the very least, you and I have briefly talked about this before— and you know, basically, nothing is off the table. Pretty much everything that we've talked about, at least you know, the the, the animated uh, mediums that we've we've talked about, both in main segments as, as well as SCDs, will probably be at the very least potential uh, topics. So that being said, you will be see you'll probably be hearing a uh, a lot of specific. uh, uh, names drop and references drop here and there, everything from, uh, from Sheriff Callie to Corpse Bride, uh, so, yeah, that's, that's all I gotta say about the, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm genuinely excited to give this a try, and to just have a lot of fun playing games about the thing that you and I loved about, uh, love the most, and that is animation.
1: Definitely, uh, and uh, yeah, and I'm also gonna be hosting this one as well here. So uh, so who so who knows what could happen here? Um, and uh, of course, you know, we got I got you. We'll have uh, we'll have a f- few other friends come along and uh, you know to test their knowledge on animation as well. So until next week, for right now, I'm Adrian Monta, and
2: I'm Emma Settles.
1: We'll see you for game night next week, folks. Goodbye for right now.
2: Bye.
0: This is Jared Harris speaking for the Saccharine Peaches Show. Produced, edited, and co-hosted by Adrian Mata and co-hosted with Emma Settles. The Saccharine Peaches Show is a Sacland Original Podcast.